Welcome to Healthcare is Hard, a podcast for insiders. Each episode, LRV Health's Keith Figlioli will talk to the healthcare insiders who are helping to fundamentally transform our healthcare industry. Hi, everyone. This is Tom Salemi of Healthogy. We are very pleased to be introducing this very first episode of our newest podcast, Healthcare is Hard, a podcast for insiders. As uh, many of you, I hope, know, we've been uh, producing the Breaking Health podcast for a number of years, and we've been talking to startup CEOs. Now, with the help of our great host, Keith Figlioli of LRV, we're going to be talking to the uh, innovative folks inside the healthcare system. So, Keith, this is uh, exciting for me to have a, a podcast focused on this area, and I know this is uh, an area that you've uh, worked in for for most of your career. Uh Talk first about what you're you're hoping to uh, to achieve with this podcast. Who you're hoping to access, and then let's uh, let's learn a little more about LRV uh, after that. Sure, thanks, Tom. So ultimately, as I as I keep joking with everybody, the last thing the world needs right now is another podcast. You got <laughs> but up, you, you gotta, you're killing me. <laughs> but I but I do believe there is room for what we're talking about here. And so I think ultimately we see a lot of things out in the marketplace on the innovation front that is sort of what I'll call outside in to the system. So people that are creating a lot of things on the outside and either with participants um, or not, more importantly, with participants that we see a lot of. And the intent of this is to flip it around. And the intent of even our platform, our early state strategic platform at LRV Health is really to start at the inside and go out. And so uh, work with a lot of very strategic insiders that have been around for 30 to 40 plus years in the healthcare industry have seen multiple shocks to the systems, not just the recent shocks to the system, and bring their voice to light through this podcast and really showcase some of what I would call some of the true innovators over the many years and many decades. And the people that are also on the cutting edge today, really trying to think about how the digital evolution has taken place into healthcare transformation and not just necessarily talk about the technology trends or the tech-enabled services trends or different things that are going on in the digitization front, but also talk about what is fundamental healthcare transformation, what is going on on the inside day-to-day that a lot of people, frankly, don't see or even potentially get access to. So I think that's really the intent of this podcast, and it and it sort of hips into exactly what LRV Health is all about, which is really building an early-stage strategic fund, and we've been doing this for 18-plus years, with strategic insiders. So we, we have um, currently 12 different health systems and payers around this country in about 25 different states that deliver care or take on risk for about 50 million Americans. So we've got pretty of an interesting inside point of view in the multiple areas around this country um, that are very geographically different in terms of the way healthcare transformation is taking hold. What do you think? I think we, we, and we, I mean, those folks who are innovating, creating startups or, or folks like me who are talking to them and, and covering them, I think we have this, this idea in our head that the uh, experienced healthcare executives uh, don't understand innovation. We're going to come in and we're going to show them how it's done. What do you think folks are going to be surprised to learn uh, hearing from these people who you've been working with for, for a long time. Yeah. I just don't think people are in the dark as much as everybody <laughs> believes. Uh, you know, I joked up on stage for our first guest when we recorded the first session with Bert Zimmerle, who is the CFO of Intermountain. 
um, you know, you look at a system like Intermountain, and they're probably one of the more cutting edge, innovative institutions around this country. And Bert has been leading that charge for a number of decades. And I think what people are going to be surprised about is the way people think and the type of things that are going on. You know, in this in this first interview, people are going to hear about um, Civica RX, which is the very innovative entity. Um, that is taking on the drug industry in a different shape and form and doing it from the inside out. And, and what was shocking to me when we did the, the interview on stage um, at the Digital Health Innovation Summit was that I had a bunch of people come up to me after the interview with Bert and say, wow, we had never heard about that before. Wow. And so I just, I just find it fascinating that we're all running so fast that I hope, again, that, that this platform really starts to shed some light on some new information that a lot of these established players are not dinosaurs. They're not, you know, resting on their laurels. They are actively in the innovation game and really trying to change the dynamics in partnership with everybody else out, out there in the entrepreneurial front. I agree. And what I love about it, it's a great match for, for breaking health because these, these are the folks that I think the startup CEOs want to hear from and they want to understand uh, how they're thinking. So uh, I think you're going to be providing some really valuable access for folks. So uh, you, uh, you you sort of teed up the, the first guest a bit. Anything else you want to talk about the interview at DHIS or should we just roll into this thing? No, I'm just ecstatic about it. I, you know, I've known Bert for a number of years. He's a wonderful guy, uh, an incredible um, leader in his organization and a, a real testament to how to lead in, in, in times of healthcare transformation. And uh, I think people are going to be pretty excited. I think Bert uh, provided some great insight on stage that we happen to capture and, and reproduce for this podcast. So we're, we're really excited about it. And I think everybody's uh, going to enjoy listening to it. And finally, I just I guess I should just get talk to talk about the elephant in the room. Healthcare is hard is a great name for uh, for the podcast. Uh, what uh, what inspired you to sort of come up with the idea? Because this was this was your baby. I was just kind of playing around with you and others, which is, you know, again, another podcast, another name, but naming I find is the funniest thing. But I think, uh, you know, coming from the inside, what I find most fascinating is that it is really hard. Yeah. And, you know, these are not people that don't understand the reality of what's going on. And, you know, as people noodle deeper and deeper into this, especially a lot of people that have come into the into the industry over the last number of years, they're like, wow, I had no idea there was this level of barriers. I had no idea, you know, the old cachet that, you know, healthcare is just different. It's not that it's just different. It's just a very different game that's being played with enormous amounts of regulation, enormous amounts of things that are going on. So I hope, again, part of what we illustrate here with some of the guests are people that have been there and done that and tried a lot of things and innovated a lot of things and give people exposure to insights that frankly they're not getting when they're a little bit on the outside to a certain degree. As someone famously once said, no one knew it was this complicated. So <laughs> that it was it. kind of how we, how we came up with it. Not to call out a political pun, but yes. Awesome. Well, let's uh, roll into this very first episode of Healthcare is Hard, a podcast for insiders. So we've got a really unique um, session here with Bert. Uh, I've had the pleasure of getting to know Bert over the years uh, and obviously the Intermountain system. Um, and every time I've seen Bert up on stage, I've always been incredibly impressed. So I was twisting his arm for the past couple of months to say, please come east. Uh, I promise you it's 83 degrees every October. 
and somehow it was yesterday, so that worked out. So let's just start with Bert. Maybe I think a lot of people know you. Uh, obviously, they can look up your bio, but a little bit about your tenure um, at Intermountain, I think, in some detail, because I think you've survived a few CEO transitions there, so it might be interesting to hear. Yeah, so it's, it's, uh, it's an honor to be here. I've been in Intermountain now a little over 15 years. I'm, I'm a Midwestern kid, grew up in Madison, Wisconsin. Uh, I went to Ernst & Young, was 16 years there in Houston. Uh, then went to uh, what became Memorial Hermann Methodist and, and then on to Intermountain. And I think when I left Houston, uh, a lot of people kind of thought I'd lost my marbles, you know, moving out to Utah. And I like to joke that uh, people on the East Coast you know, before Mitt Romney probably didn't know where Utah was. But, uh, but in the 15 years at, at Intermountain, uh, I've had four board chairs and three CEOs. And so if nothing else, I'm a survivor, you know, through all this. But uh, maybe, maybe just a comment now, why, why Intermountain? Uh, I wanted to have a little bit of change in lifestyle, frankly, in, in leaving Houston. But Intermountain has always been known for evidence-based best practice. Uh, around quality, and, and I totally buy into what Andy Slavitt said. Uh, the one thing he didn't say, I thought he might, is if you look at American healthcare, at least 40% of everything done adds no value. Some people will say it's as much as 50, but most people will say, you know, 40% is not a bad number. And of that number, 10% of that 40% actually harms you. So if you think of that, 4% uh, creates rework and errors and, and that sort of thing. So as you look at opportunity as investors, uh, I would be looking, how do you drive out that 40%? Uh, it's a big challenge. If, if you think of the challenges that, say, Intermountain and others have, our, our numbers are pretty good if you, if you looked at them. Uh, but think about as that 40% comes out, what that does to your systems as, as your, you, your bed capacity, your beds drop, your use capacity drops. So, so big opportunity out there. But I wanted to go where really quality was the number one focus. Uh, you know, being in Houston in the medical center, uh, I used to joke if you drive down Fannin Street from one end to the other, you'd, you'd cath three times before you got from one end to the other. So uh, uh, that's not what we're about, uh, really about trying to drive needed care, but not just driving, you know, imaging, lab, uh, pharmacy utilization. So uh, the, uh, one of the things Keith asked me was to comment on what keeps me up at night. And, you know, at my age, a lot of things keep you up at night. But beyond that, um, it's really how do you keep raising the bar while you're doing well? And, and if you look at our numbers, we're doing really well. Financially, we're the highest-rated system in healthcare. Uh, the only double, the only AA one Moody's has. Uh, so, how do you keep raising the bar? It's not intuitive for your employees. You know, why are we changing when when we're doing well? But that that's a big challenge. That's what Intermountain has been about from the start. Uh, started in 1975. Uh, Fifteen hospitals were turned over uh, to an independent 501c3. The charge was be a model healthcare system. You think about that, 1975, uh, pretty bold charge. And you cannot be a model 
without constantly innovating. And, and so that, that interested me. It's been a great ride, and, and I think there are tremendous, tremendous opportunities yet. So when I've heard you speak also talking about, I've actually seen you start presentations and say the innovation imperative. And so, you know, a lot of people in the audience are either investors or participants or have points of view that health systems can innovate. They're dinosaurs. They're the lion's share of the cost in the infrastructure, lion's share of the problem, culturally can't get there. What's truly different about Intermountain and that point about innovation imperative? Yeah, so it, it would go back to this be a model. Uh, you know, again, you cannot be a model. But <clears throat> if you look at why do we have to innovate, uh, you'll hear people say that healthcare is, quote, becoming unaffordable. Uh, and I think, in effect, Andy Slavitt already said this, but I, I would tell you healthcare is not becoming unaffordable. It's been unaffordable for a number of years. The, the only reason it's affordable to most of us is somebody else's paying, either the government your employer, but you know, if you're paying your own way, it's already unaffordable. So why do we have to innovate? It's because of that reason. It's, it's unaffordable. And I got asked the question by one of my colleagues, uh, from the East coast said, how do you, how do you create a burning platform in your organization? You know, if you're doing well financially. And my answer is, well, have, have you looked at how accessible Healthcare is in your market. Have you looked if you want to get an appointment with a specialist or with a primary care doctor for that matter? Uh, how long does it take? How long do you wait? I mean, that, you know, if, to me, if, if you're looking at what the issues are in healthcare, uh, access, uh, convenience, uh, that ought to be a burning platform, not whether you're just doing well financially. Yeah, and so tied into that, and I, some people probably know this, some people probably don't, but you guys have had an incredible track record of starting companies and really building those up. So whether it's Empiric, Elucio, obviously the beginnings of Health Catalyst came out of Intermountain, um, you know, Civic RX, which is the newest. I, I'm just curious sort of how you get the room and again, what is perceived but not real in a culture that sort of doesn't have that approach What's different in Intermountain to be able to allow you to do that? Yeah, well, I guess uh, other than great financial leadership, uh, the... Uh, I didn't want to set uh, you up that easy. Yeah. That was like, like, like Bill no, said, I, there's one rock star, it's not me. No, I think that's a great question, actually. And, and really, over the last 10 years, we've, we've come a long way in this area. We've never been an organization that's been about growth for growth's sake. Um, uh, we, I think I can say we as an organization believe the bricks and mortar side is not where you want to be. Now you're going to need a little bit of that for sure, but we've talked about asset light strategies and, you know, rather than coming off a hospital centric approach, come off a network approach. That's a totally different way of thinking. Uh, but on the, on the innovation, we started looking about 10 years ago and, and said so we have, a, you know, we have a lot of smart, innovative people that work at Intermountain Healthcare. Uh, physicians, scientists, and one of the challenges, you mentioned Health Catalyst, uh, Myriad Genetics, another company uh, that years ago, probably some Intermountain uh, intellectual property just walked out the door. So he said, how do we protect that and, and create an environment where if you work for Intermountain or you're affiliated with Intermountain, 
and you want to be an innovator, you don't have to leave the organization to do that. So we, we think it can be a virtuous cycle. If we, if we really can create an environment that supports innovation, uh, that we can attract more of the best and the brightest that say, hey, I want to I wanna be in a system like this, but I also want to enjoy the benefits uh, of an organization that supports my innovation, uh, both intellectually and financially. So we, again, we started that about 10 years ago formally. And as you mentioned now, we've, we've spun out four companies uh, and uh, it's a pretty exciting. And these, these companies, I mean, organization, if you're interested, uh, we have a for-profit LLC that hangs off the, the 501c3, and then we hang the C-Corps off that LLC. Uh, for the most part, uh, at this point, they're 100% owned by Intermountain, with one exception, uh, a company called Oxion Ventures uh, on a company called Empiric Health owns 20%. Uh, but two of those companies actually were raising, uh, we're doing a, uh, a round of funding uh, between now and February of next year. So if, if there's any interest, one of them is a precision genomics uh, company, Navican Genomics, uh, for the most part headquartered in San Diego. These companies have their own management, uh, their own teams, their own wage and benefit structure, stock plans, just like any, any startup company. So as we've done that, it's created tremendous enthusiasm uh, amongst, you know, a portion of our employees and physicians and it makes us more attractive for those who would want to come in a, in a great place to live, uh, you know, Salt Lake, Park City, uh, but also gives the, the employment uh, opportunity that you can do things, uh, you know, maybe you can't do in some other markets. So if you dig into one um, that's always piqued my interest because it's a little bit different than say the other one, Civica, and you think about the spotlight that's on you know, I remember my days at Premier, there wasn't a month that went by that we didn't talk about drug shortages. And then if you think about, a lot of people don't understand this, but may, but, you know, when you think about a hurricane blowing through Puerto Rico and you think about saline production and what goes offline, what goes online, price surges with all that, what was the impetus to start that entity? And more importantly, how did you pull off, not just you in this particular case, but multiple systems into trying to do that? And then I got another question for you after. Okay, so uh, I don't know how many people we. <clears throat> there's uh, Civica RX is now the the name of this company uh, that was that was formed because uh, no secret there's some generic drugs that and Andy Slavitt mentioned he talked about insulin and, and some other things where the prices have gone up a hundred plus times and and many of these drugs there's not a big market for but if your patient needs this drug it's a big problem. So the, uh, you know, Andy mentioned the monopolistic price and basically what it is, you know, you control the market, someone else tries to get in, you just drop the price until you drive them out and then you get back in again. So that was going on. Um, I think everybody's EpiPen, you know, another, another example that there's, there's literally hundreds of examples. So we, we looked at this and said, Hey, can we do something about this? And we knew we couldn't just by ourselves. Uh, we're not we're not big enough. We're about twelve billion dollar organization. But so we got together. We had a dynamic leader that wanted to do this. Uh, Dan Lillenquist uh, came to our, our former CEO and me a few years ago. Said he'd like to try it. Uh, you know, you 
you mentioned dinosaurs and stuff. So I know a lot of us think some of our not-for-profits, you know, we can't move, we're slow, we can't get together, we can't coordinate. So uh, Charles Sorensen, our CEO at the time, uh, he said, well, Bert will support it, I'll support it. So he said, well, let, let's go for it. I frankly thought it was a long shot to pull this off. So, but we've done it. We have seven governing members. And this is all public information now. I'll see if I can remember them. Uh, Mayo Clinic, uh, four or five Catholics, Providence, Trinity, SSM, Catholic Health Initiatives, uh, Intermountain, of course, and somewhat to people's surprises, HCA. And I will tell you, through this process, HCA has been a tremendous partner in working for the other, with the other six of us. So the seven uh, governing members, and then we have three large foundations uh, put their money in. So we've all committed $10 million to this, so $100 million, and, and it's put together. We've, we've hired a retired executive uh, from Amgen who's actually been working on this from the start. Uh, he's agreed to work for a dollar for the first six months. Uh, and the, what will hold this together is we all sign 10-year take-or-pay contracts. And uh, this has generated tremendous interest. Uh, the, the promise we made, there had been a, a little CFO group among these companies been working for a while, is that we believe at a minimum on, on these drugs, we can offer them for 10 years at 50% of what people are paying now. And so in effect, when you think of how do you get, how do you get your 10 million back if you ever do, uh, we're gonna get that and more. And the interest of this has been phenomenal. If you look at the social media hits, been over 8 billion with, you know, 98% positive. So uh, pretty interesting deal. We think, you know, we got to walk before we run here, but we do believe uh, we'll, we'll have our first products uh, by the third quarter of next year. And, you know, we'll outsource a lot of the manufacturing and, and some of that. We've had a number of companies come to us and say, we want to work with you. We want to partner with you. And, and by and large, the FDA is not an issue here because these, these, these drugs have been out there a long time. It's not like we're starting some, some new drug here. So what's been the response from industry on that? Have they been coming open arms and saying, hey, let's partner? Or are they saying, hey, we'll, we'll, we'll take you on with price? Yeah, so it's been mixed. Uh, again, overwhelmingly positive. Uh, we're not, we, we don't think we're being too naive here that uh, we, we know there, there probably will be attempts uh, to bundle products together and punish us, if you will, by some of the big players. But, but again, if you, if you look at the environment right now for these big drug companies, uh, you know, it's probably not the environment to be, you know, too overt uh, in that approach. But really very positive. And I think a lot of people are still skeptical, saying, well, we'll see if they can really do this. And, and, and we know we got to, you know, we got to stop talking about it now. Now we got to do it. So, so maybe panning back a little bit, not just from Intermountain, but your views about the industry, uh, and then we can open up for a couple of questions. Do you think, for folks in the audience, this is going to be potentially the new landscape where more of the progressive health systems are going to be taking this on? I mean, I, I thought you made a really good comment about, and we've heard this a lot of times out talking to a number of provider systems, we're no longer going to let IP walk out the door. Well, we're no longer going to let people come in and kind of drive in our infrastructure and then take the IP out. 
So do you think that's going to be the landscape that other upstart companies and other players in the market are also going to have to start contending to in terms of thinking about there may be a set of provider systems or even payers have done this as well as you know um, that are starting to build these type of infrastructure companies up? I think it'll vary. Um, you know, there's no question. Some of this stuff is is hard. It's hard. And, and uh, you know, one, one thing maybe we're saying, if you wonder how you work with systems, uh, so it's Clear, you know, we heard about cost and complexity. Um, totally agree with that. I, I, I believe cost is the overwhelming problem right now. And again, if, if you think about work, particularly with, with the delivery side uh, of the industry, you look at, look at our costs, cash costs, cash costs. So anywhere between 50 and 60% of your cash costs is labor and benefits. And a few things you can do with benefits, but, but if you look at labor, what's labor? It's three things, number of people, mix of people, rate. And you think of mix, you can think of, you know, um, automation, you can think of outsourcing, you can think a lot. But, but that's the problem that has to be dealt with. And I would say a lot of systems have kicked that can down the road a long time and tried to avoid, you know, dealing with, with the people side of the equation. And, and the other big challenge in most markets, most markets, your hospital is the largest employer in that market. So you, you know, you've got, you've got that, that issue as well. I'll throw out one, one quick thing just for those that if you want to work for Inter, with Intermountain, and we'd love to work with as many of you as, as we can. So we, we, we try to work things around principles. So if, if you can come to us with something that meets these four principles, I would sure hope we'd want to talk to you. So num number one, Bring us something that improves quality or safety and, and reduces cost. So it's got to do, do both those. I mean, we just can't afford anymore some minor improvement in quality, but cost goes way up. So, so that's number one. Number two, it's got to be good for patients or members or customers or possibly communities. Number three, it's got to be good for those who care for patients you know, members, customers, communities. And number four, it's gotta be consistent with the Intermountain brand. Now, I can't think of too many things to do the first three and maybe wouldn't do four. Uh, and then number five, uh, doesn't have to do this, but it's a grand slam home run. If it can attract or retain good jobs in our service areas, you know, big deal, big deal. We've, we've done one of those deals already here recently uh, that's, that's gonna do the first four and we'll bring over the next three years 700 really good new jobs uh, to Salt Lake. So just something you might be interested in, but if you could scale it out that way, bring it to us, uh, we'll be interested in it. So I think that's a good transition. Um, maybe we turn it over to questions and see if we got a couple questions out in the audience. Thank you so much. This is incredibly exciting. And um, uh, as probably many of us, I'm sort of waiting with bated breath to see what you guys pick off first. Um, can you give us any insights into how you prioritize and, um, and, and what we should expect to see in your first uh, launch in Q3 of next year? Oh, you're talking about the drugs? Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, I can't, actually. It's <laughs> <laughs> quick. I wish I could, but I can't. No, no. You're not the first one that's asked that question, by the way. Surprised, yeah. 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 
Then cat in the back. Uh, Go ahead or repeat it. Go ahead. And I think you heard the question, but on the, uh, you know, when it comes to automation revenue cycle, just wondering um, how you look at that space. Yeah, that's uh, well. First of all, we we have about twenty five hundred employees in that. We're, we we have about thirty seven thousand employees, um, about twenty five hundred in, in that space. Um, in, incredibly complex space. Uh, incredibly frustrating space. If you looked at, at some of those slides uh, that talked about the complaints about the bills and, and, and all of that. Uh, we're doing a lot of things. Actually, I'm looking at Kent Ivanoff right up here in the front, uh, entrepreneur from Idaho that uh, has got a company that we're working with, uh, you know, simplifying uh, things on, you know, if you will, the back end uh, of that. So uh, we've at, we're actually working with a company called R1. It, that was the deal I, I referred to, actually, that um, Tower Brook Ascension-funded uh, public company, and uh, we're a partner with them now, investor in them now, and, and we want to do more things like that. Uh, and as we look at that, clearly, you look down the road, uh, automation is going to be a big deal there. And for us... You know, we, I think scale matters tremendously in healthcare. Some people disagree with me on that. Uh, they say, no, healthcare is local. And, but I, I think scale matters tremendously. And that's clearly an area where I, I think it's going to make a huge difference in, in, in the way you, way you go at it. So, Bert, great having you with us again today. Great, great comments. Talk a little bit about, um, and maybe as a tee up even for our next panel, a lot of the new novel risk bearing entities. Uh, new entities that are taking on clinical and financial risk, you know, in, in breakthrough ways. And, and how you think about that, how can you participate in that? How can you fan the flames of, of those new, new entities? Yeah, so uh, everyone may not know, we, we actually own our own health plan, uh, 900,000 members, 800,000 in Utah, 100,000 in Idaho, where we're partnering with a system up, up there. Um, it's interesting we, we recently reorganized, to, so we broke our company into two pieces, if you will, uh, a community-based care and a specialty-based care. So the specialty-based care deals with, if you will, the fee-for-service side of it, community-based care, the risk, risk side of it. So 40% of, every, of everybody we see is already risk-based, so we're, we're at risk ourselves for that. So we've been doing that for a long time. Probably gives us an advantage in, in a lot of ways as, as we think about things. Uh, we're very interested. We're in talking, you know, in, in effect, some of these pharmaceutical, big pharma that we, we contract with. Uh, by the way, Civica is just going after the bad actors. We're not, we're not going after, you know, the good guys here. But on those, we're saying, hey, come to us with a risk-based supply arrangement. You know, put your skin in the game here. Come to us. So, so if, if your product works, we'll pay for it. If it doesn't work, we don't want to pay for it. How about that? You know, and, and, uh, and people are listening and responding to that. It's tough. It's tough. But that's, that's where I think we got to go here. One more question. You mentioned that 50% of healthcare costs for providers tend to be in labor, benefits, et cetera. When you couple that with physician-clinician shortages as well as burnout issues, where would you start in tackling that workforce problem? 
Yeah, so I think the comment was made earlier that you know we have a shortage. I actually don't think there is a physician shortage. I think we have we, we're using we're using our talent really wrong. We're not we're not working at the top of our license. This goes all across across the system, and and so we're we're dramatically upping uh, the level of of you know nurse practitioners, uh, physician assistants to MDs. Um, we believe we're investing heavily in telehealth, teleservices. We'll, we'll have 80 services by this time next year. We deliver in a teleway all over the world. And uh, that, that's going to reduce big time um, your needs. So there are isolated for sure, uh, specialty. But I think, I think tele is going to bring a lot to that game. And, and I... I don't think we've got the problems that some think we do. We've got to isolate like some rural issues and stuff, but tele can help there big time as well. Terrific. Well, Bert, I just want to thank you again for coming out, and I hope everybody appreciated it, and I thought there was a very good discussion, and um, thank you again. All right, that is a wrap. Thanks so much for joining us on this very first episode of Healthcare is Hard, a podcast for insiders. Keith Figlioli of LRV Health, thank you so much for taking this on really looking forward to listening to your future interviews and i know our listeners will want to hear them as well so i'm advising our listeners listen up listeners to go to itunes or whatever platform you're listening to podcasts on and subscribe to the healthcare is hard podcast that's the best way to ensure you don't miss an episode please also uh, reach out to me and let me know what you think of this episode and future episodes my name again is tom salemi my email is tom at healthogy.com. Healthogy is the word health followed by the letters E-G-Y. Healthogy is the producer of many great podcasts, including the Breaking Health Podcast and MedTech Talk, as well as many wonderful events like the Digital Healthcare Innovation Summit, which we just held in October, and the MedTech Conference, which is coming up next May. So uh, now you know who I am. Now you know what Healthogy is. Now I hope you'll join us for future episodes of Healthcare is Hard a podcast for insiders.